Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead, turn it to Mark chapter 8. We've been studying Mark on Sunday nights for the last several months and on Wednesday nights. And said, this one's too good to use on a Sunday night. My Sunday school class right now is acting awfully goofy. Because in Sunday school this morning, I mean, seriously, y'all, y'all must have been in cahoots on this. I said, sometimes you talk to the church and you can tell that there's no joy on people. Because a lot of times you just get this from folks. Hey there, this is Trey, the youth pastor of First Baptist and the one that edits the sermons from Sundays for the podcast. In this brief pause, Brother Tony makes a very dumbfounded, angry, slack-jawed face. But that doesn't really translate in an audio medium, so I thought that I would just insert myself here and let you know. Now, 80% of the people on a church service have this look on their face like, uh, you know, like they're zombies. So then I said, you can always tell when there's some people that are tracking with you. And let me just give you the background on this story because when you preach funerals, oftentimes you're preaching to a large group of folks that don't know Jesus as their Savior, and you preach to them, and you can tell there's some who are tracking with you. And they're nodding, and they're bobbing their head, and they're like, yeah, I I get it, I hear the gospel. And then there's other folks who are doing, you know, what a lot of folks on Sunday morning look like, and that's just kind of like, open mouth, relaxed jaw, you know, uh... And then there's some folks that look angry when you're giving them the gospel. And they look at you like this. Like they're ready to punch you in the jaw when they come by because they're like, "Ah, you're telling me I'm wrong and I'm not good enough. I'll go where I want to go when I die. And that's how we started. And I said a lot of times in churches on Sundays, people are sitting there like this. What I wanted to do, I don't know why, this is just turning into a confession time for me. Because we have cameras in here, I don't know if you knew that. I always wanted to just get some snapshots throughout the service of everybody's face and let you identify your face on that snapshot and see what you look like. Some of y'all would be smiling and other y'all would be like, <laughs> what I want to talk to you about is your life and losing your life. And when we lose our lives, we find them, is what Jesus said. So we're going to jump into that text here. How many people think that you're dead? I am. How many people would say that they're alive? I am. The Bible teaches us that you are dead in sin and what? Alive in Christ. So you could be dead and alive. As I go through, I want you to think about am I dead or am I alive? Now, we're looking right here. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 says this. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father 
with the holy angels. So Jesus is speaking to his apostles and then a bunch of other folks that are disciples. You know what it means to be a disciple? A follower. Thank goodness we have like Google Maps and Apple Maps and all that kind of stuff right now. Garmin, whatever you're still using. Because Nikki will tell you, I'm not the fastest driver. I'm not a good follower, right? She'll be like, you need to catch up. They're leaving us. They're moving on. And I wasn't a great follower. And there'd be some distance. I think that's how a lot of us are in our Christian lives. Where we get in and Jesus takes off. The Holy Spirit is leading us, and we lag behind. Last week, we talked about running the race, right? And Jesus is there at the finish line. He's not just the motivator cheering you on at the finish line, but he is the motivation to cross the finish line. He is your prize, right? And we looked at that last week, and now it's kind of like, I'm following you, Jesus, who ran the race before me, and now I'm following your path, and as I'm going, I'm on my way. Last week, we saw how we run it, and this week, we're going to go a little more in depth. We're going to see that it takes motivation and discipline. That was another tagline from a few weeks ago. It takes motivation to rise up, to get off the couch, to get off the recliner, and to go make an effort to do something. This week, we're getting you motivated to get up off the pew and to get out and do something. Because so often, all we want to do is come in and sit on a pew and be spectators and go through the motions and say, "Ah, I'm good, I was here, all that stuff. Not, I worship God today. Right? We go through the motions with very little worship. How many of y'all listen to music that is God-glorifying throughout the week? You know what that does? It sets up your mind for a frame of worship, to worship wherever you're at, whether you're at the home, whether you're in the car, the truck, whatever, whether you're in a tractor, whether you're jogging down the street or on a treadmill, you get the ear pods in, and you're hearing it. You can worship God While you're running, while you're driving, while you're working, whatever. Worship God. However you want to, wherever you want to, whenever you want to, you are free to do that. I don't care if you're standing there clashing cymbals together. I do in my house. I do in my house. You can clash cymbals together and worship God. That's what it says in Psalms. Worship Him with the symbols. Worship Him and dance. You want to do one of these spiritual dances? and I don't know what a spiritual dance would look like. But the Bible says do that. Worship Him. You want to worship God by kneeling and praying? That's great. But you got to get up off the couch and you got to be motivated. You're going to come after me is what Jesus says. You're going to come behind me. You're going to follow up behind me. You've got to do three things. The first thing is deny yourself. Take up his cross and follow me. First thing is deny. How do you deny yourself? Does that mean you just say no to yourself? Yeah. Is it just for a minute or a second? No. 
That's self-denial. Denying yourself is going to be a process. I'm going to deny myself, if you're on a diet, you're going to deny yourself that pumpkin pie, maybe. That fifth piece of pumpkin pie, in my case, usually, because I practice gluttony. Oh, I need to work on that. You deny yourself for a moment, but continually throughout the day, throughout the week. We work together in accountability groups to help each other deny ourselves better. And when we're feeling weak, you talk to someone. Hey, man. I just want you to pray with me right now. That's what it looks like. Hey guys, I'm struggling today. I'm giving in to anger a good bit this morning. And I'm suffering because I'm not walking the path that the Lord wants me to lead. And I'm confessing my sin one to another like the Bible says to do. I got guys in my accountability group. There's eight of us on a text group. And there's days when we send each other, Hey man, picked up a couple of L's this morning. Losses. Because all we want to do is win, 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 no matter what. I mean, that's what we want to do. So we go out there and we confess when we have the losses and when we have the wins, we celebrate them. But we got to deny ourselves and we help each other deny ourselves. We walk with each other in accountability because if we don't, we're setting ourselves up to fail. How do you deny yourself? First thing, get around other people that want to deny themselves for the sake of Christ. I want to deny Tony so that I will look more like Christ. I will help guys deny themselves so that they will look more like Jesus. Because that is the goal of this life. I need others to help me die on a regular basis. Spiritually, I need that help dying because Tony doesn't always want to die to self. And it's good for me to have a few guys who will be honest with me and be like, dude, that's kind of selfish right there. That's not dying to yourself, Tony. I need to hear that and I need to be able to speak that to other guys so that they can look more Christ-like. First thing, deny yourself. This life, if you're a Christian, I'm not talking about you if you're not a Christian. It ain't about you. All right? It's not about you, it's not about your job, it's not about your money, it's not about your family, it's not about your church. This life isn't about you. If you think it is, you're mistaken. My life isn't about my kids and my family. No, your life is about Christ. If you're a believer, you know what Christ says? Take care of your family. You know what Christ says? Do good to those who persecute you. Jesus says a lot of stuff in this word. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This life isn't about you. That's hard for a lot of us to hear because it's countercultural. Because the world tells you, no, this is about you. Your life is that you're a good person and we love you and there's nothing you can do that can ever make you a bad person. When we look at this life, we try to make it about ourselves, don't we? Look at your schedule. Where does Jesus fit in? Where are you going to deny yourself and fit him into your such a busy schedule? And I understand we have busy schedules. I got four kids. I got 125 people. I got friends and family. 
That's my schedule. But you know what? If I will deny myself and fit Jesus into that schedule with every single thing on my calendar, now I can worship God throughout that day. Deny Tony and emphasize the others that I'm having an impact on throughout that day. And when I do that, hopefully I'm helping them out, but I'm helping myself look more like Christ. When we put ourselves as a number one in our lives, you know what that's called? Idolatry. You're putting yourself above God, and you're making yourself God. So what do we do as believers? Deny ourselves. The next thing is, he says, take up his cross. So you got to take up your cross. That's tough right there. Because these guys understood when Jesus said that, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your electric chair and follow me. Take up your cross, your instrument of death, and follow me. Jesus, at this point, has told his apostles, y'all, I'm going to get smitten. I just like using that word. I'm going to get smote. I'm going to get killed and crucified, but I'm going to be raised again. And he told them he'd be resurrected at this point. I will be resurrected, but I first got to go through the suffering and the pain. And now, that was a hard enough message for the apostles to hear. The disciples didn't want to hear that. Our king, our lord, our master, our messiah, he's going to be put to death? I don't want to hear that. But now, they're told, it's coming for you too. You've got to be willing to pick up your cross. That's that motivation. Whatever it takes. I've been associated with sports since I moved to Louisiana. And there's always talk. And every now and then you hear this motto. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. It's like whatever it takes. You see it on t-shirts. You hear it on NFL teams, college teams. Whatever it takes to do to win, we're going to do it. Most teams don't mean that. Most teams mean we're going to put in a good effort on the practice field. We're going to try hard. When you pick up your cross, it is whatever it takes, wherever you lead me, I am there. I am going, I am walking, I am following you. Because I am your disciple. I am a Christ follower. Most of the time, people will say whatever it takes, but when it's too hot, they got to go take a rest. Most people that say whatever it takes, hmm. They're with you for a little while. They've got the motivation to go a little bit, but they don't cross that finish line. The whatever it takes attitude can't come from you. It's got to come from the Christ within you who's already won. Remember, you're not running the race trying to earn a victory because the victory's already been won. You just have to let him be the victor in your life and he's going to draw you to that finish line. That's how you get that whatever-it-takes attitude. Not of you, but of Him. That walk of shame is tough to do with that cross. Because the world and everyone around you mocks you, pities you, 
spits at you, yells at you, criticizes you. When you pick up that cross and you truly have the whatever it takes in you and you let it work out of you in the spirit and you're walking with that cross, the world is scoffing at you. And it's not a good feeling. And you know that all you have to do is put the cross down and it's over with. You don't have to hear the jeers and the snares and the humiliation come at you time after time after time along that race. You pick up the cross and you do it and you march with it because whatever it takes is how you're going to cross the finish line. That's what's going to get you across that finish line. That whatever it takes spirit that was in Christ, that is in you, is going to lead you to that finish line. The next thing is Jesus says, follow me. So now you don't just have the motivation to get it up and start the race. Now you are following him, denying yourself the whole time, pursuing him with the discipline that it takes to march through the race. Are you going to get offended when that rotten tomato smashes you upside the face? No. You're going to do good to those that persecute you, to those that hate you. When people are cussing at you and spitting at you, are you going to start yelling back and saying, and cussing at them? No. You're going to do good to them because you know that it's coming because that's what this book says is going to happen. They will revile you is what it says. They will hate your guts. Is that enough to turn you off and drop the cross and say, I'm done? I'm not really doing whatever it takes? No. When the people mock you, laugh at you, scorn you, shame you, try to take your job away from you because of the kingdom of Christ, the Bible says we're to count that as joy, as His faithfulness. But what do so many people want to do? They're carrying their cross and then they're getting offended. And they start yelling at the people who are criticized. Ah, you shut up. I'm going to do this thing my way. I don't need you. To, I'm right and you're wrong. And you're sitting there carrying the cross, having a fight with the folks on the side of the road that you already knew were going to persecute you and hate you. Keep your eyes on the prize, which is Jesus at the finish line. That's what you're called to do as a believer. Submit to His will. Repent of the offense that has been within us, making us angry and fighting mad. You ain't going to fight anybody tied to a cross. Hmm. All you're going to do is what? Ruin the witness that you're supposed to have. The next thing he says is in verse 35. It's about our lives. Whoever wants to save it, got to lose it. How many of y'all been baptized? You know, your baptism was a symbolic picture of what happens when you get saved. You're alive, the old you, right? You're standing up. Then you get buried, you get dunked. You're down underwater, you're down under death, basically. You're dead, and then you're resurrected in Christ. 
That's a picture of baptism. That's why we baptize folks. It's not a magical thing. It doesn't save you. It doesn't do anything for you other than it says, I am part of Christ's family because I was dead in my sin. I was buried because I died in Christ. And now I'm risen in Christ. That's why we baptize. In your baptism, you know what you were saying and agreeing with, whether you knew it or not? I will live my life knowing that I am dead to sin, dead to this world, dead to my old self. I've been buried with Christ. I was dead in Christ on that cross. Remember that scene? Jesus on the cross, he's hanging there, he's praying for him, and then he dies. And what do they do? They take that, and they stick that thing in his side, and out comes blood and water, and the Roman soldier falls on his knees and says, surely this was the Son of God? You died in Christ right there. In his mind, his will was planted in you when the Holy Spirit was put in you when you said, I identify with Christ, my Savior and my Lord, and his spirit is within me, and he can never leave himself or forsake himself. Therefore, I am secure eternally, and nothing is going to separate us. No one's going to pluck me from his hand, is what the Bible says. And when we have that, when we experience that, when we know that, it's because we're dead in Christ and His Spirit is within us. That's powerful. He says, you want to keep your life? You're going to lose your life. But those who try to save their lives, they're not making it to the finish line. They're not letting Christ motivate them, being their motivation and their prize. They're looking and they're more worried about the things of this world. They're checking out of the race. They're stopping in lane three going, you know what? This race is too hard. It's too long. It's too strenuous. Everybody's yelling at me. They all hate me. I'm going to go eat some worms and I'm just going to drop my cross and quit. I'm done. And the sad thing is, Those that are in Christ, it's so hard to drop that cross that they cling to it because they know that their salvation is in Him. They want to be just like Him. They want to move on and press forward. But then there's some. No. Bye-bye. I'm out. That's the attitude of a lot of folks. You know what those folks do? They still go to church because they've been going to church for 20 years, 10 years, 4 months, whatever. Those are the folks that see the race, that know the race, that are content with warming a pew on a Sunday morning. Even religiously. Every Sunday morning, you know where I'm going to be. But they left their cross in the middle of lane 3. They're doing whatever else they need to do or want to do. Pick up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow me. Lose your life. And then he says this. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What's the greatest thing you could ever have? Fame 
fortune, richest person in the world, whatever, money, women, what is it? Is it worth hell? What good does it profit a person to gain the whole world and in the process lose your soul? And then he says this in verse 38, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus is going to be ashamed of you. There's going to be shame. I'm not going to get into all this right now because that's going to take another hour. But when you look, you see right here, Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me and my words, I'm going to be ashamed of you. How many of y'all can hold this book up and say, this is the authority on which I base my life on. This is the foundation. This is the umbrella of truth that I'm building my life under and the foundation I'm building it on. And when you can say that unapologetically to whoever, then you're not ashamed of his word. But when you start skirting around some of the things in the Bible, and you're like, I don't know, whatever. I know the Bible says this, but I just don't agree with that. That just seems so old-fashioned. That just seems so narrow-minded. I don't know if I really need... Are you ashamed of his word? Because Jesus is pretty clear that he's going to be ashamed on you on that day when the King of kings and the Lord of lords is being glorified. He's going to be ashamed of you.